0: In today's video series, we welcome Zola Corsi from Stana Bank, an admitted attorney and notary. Zola has, over the last 11 years, worked both in private practice and corporate, advising high-net-worth clients on various aspects of their estate planning. She has a keen interest in succession law. She presently holds the position of fiduciary specialist, providing advice to families in relation to the structuring of their affairs. Now Today Zola will be speaking about the concept of family in the 21st century and succession laws. Is there a discord?
1: Hello everyone. Today I'd like to discuss the concept of family in the 21st century and the law of succession and whether there is a discord. A colleague and I were brainstorming a solution for a client. Let us name the said client Miss X for purposes of this discussion, whose life partner had recently died interstate. That is without executing a valid will. In terms of the South African Interstate Succession Act, which came into effect in March 1988, Ms. X doesn't qualify as an heir to the estate of the deceased, despite having been in a permanent life partnership with him for over 20 years. The interstate heirs of the deceased are his two minor children, whom he shares with Ms. X. To this, my colleague commented, surely whom we deemed our family to be in the 1980s cannot be consistent with what family is in 2020. This got me thinking as to where there is congruency between the concept of family in the 21st century and our laws of succession in South Africa. In contemplation of how considerably the notion of family has changed in the 21st century, I cast my mind back to my first year of school, which interestingly was the year after the Interstate Succession Act came into effect, and what the structure of families of my peers looked like then. If you were to play the game of match the family to the child, you could with some degree of accuracy guess who fit where first by race and within race groups by distinguishing features. The effect being that most families were homogenous. Literature depicted families in exactly the same manner. Some of you may recall the Kathy and Mark books. By the age of 10 or 11, we learned that where there was a deviation of this norm, there was a backstory. A divorce, there was a father who had sole custody, mind boggling to us at that age, and three other single parents. 30 years on, if I played the same game in my son or daughter's class, the results would be less accurate. A child named Tandy is not necessarily black. A child's race does not denote that of his parents. A child may have two parents of the same sex. Being a single parent is not only as a consequence of a death, divorce, or the archaic term of the extramarital child. Being a parent doesn't mean that there is a co-parent. A child may be the biological child of both parents, but only shared DNA with one parent. These are but a few of the examples of how the notion of what family is has evolved. If I went around the virtual room and I asked various people what their definition of family is, the depth and breadth of their responses would differ. This could be as a result of many different factors. One could be culture, could be geography that of origin or assumed, uh, their upbringing, or the laws in their country of domicile, whether through origin or assumption. This discussion aims to seek at whether this shift in the social construct of family is reflective in our succession laws, to the express exclusion of testate succession. The origins of the concept of family are unknown. There are various theories that have been advanced by sociologists in these, over the years, Should you identify with the Christian faith, it's believed that the concept of family, that of being a unit, dates back back to the time of Adam and Eve, and is further entrenched throughout the Old Testament through the recording of ancestors, ascendants, and descendants. Even in these early times, it's inferred that the concept of family was rooted in the union between a man and a woman who would bear children, and those children would in turn marry, and also bear children, and it's in this manner that family lines were continued. In African customary law, where history was taught and transferred already, is through the recital of clan names that the lineage of such family could be deciphered through the determining of common ancestors, a practice that is still relevant today. Further embedded in the idea of family is that of succession, the passing on of traditions and property from one generation to another. Even then, as it is now, the determination of whom has the right to inherit is dependent upon the ratio of the relationship between the deceased and the heir. And this is determined by one of two factors firstly whether the relationship of the deceased is one through a common bloodline and what degree that relation is this is known as consanguinity or through marriage known as affinity it is on this premise that the interstate succession act is founded by illustration in terms of its wording a spouse and children have the first bite of the proverbial pie and it's only in their absence that a deceased biological or adopted parents or parent shall inherit, and then again, only in the absence of parents, that such parents' descendants, which would be the siblings of the deceased, where the full or half would inherit. Just from this explanation, it's clear that the concept of whom is legally determined to be your family may be vastly different from that which you deem to be family. The language of the Interstate Succession Act is a relic of its time. It's akin to a 1980s TV show, *Cosby Show* or Dallas, where the notion of family was considered to be in the narrow sense, the metaphorical white picket fence, reflecting the bony mores of society as they then were. Language is a powerful tool. It has the power to convey message, but in the same instance, it has the power in such delivery to exclude. How so? Going back to the scenario of Miss X, the term spouse as set out in the Interstate Succession acts excludes her rightfully or wrongfully so despite what m- some may say that the essence of a relationship with the deceased being no different to that of a family in the narrow sense note we do not refer to family in the traditional sense as what is considered to be a traditional family is subject to each person's context what are these bony mores that we speak of in a nutshell these refer to the principles of society and historically date back to ancient rome when the law provided that men who had attained the age of majority had autonomy over the actions, subject to those actions not being contrary to the morals of the community in which they resided in. The Roman Dutch scholar Aquilius stated that morals have always influenced the law and become crystallized into legal principles. But that which is considered to be immoral is not necessarily illegal. By illustration, it's considered to be immoral to take the life of a human being and in turn has been legislated and is thus considered to be illegal. However, it is morally acceptable if such killing is in self-defense. What is considered to be immoral may be a question of fact and not necessarily a legal one. To this end, in the 1950s, and I argue as recent as the 1980s too, divorce may have been seen as immoral in some societies, whether for cultural or religious reasons, but with the change in the morals in those same societies, this may no longer be the case, It is through the change of these societal morals that there has over the century been a shift in the notion of what family is, whom part of that class of persons, in effect resulting in the expansions of the principles of consanguinity, that's the relation through bloodline, or affinity, relation through marriage. In exploring the progression of the expansion of family through consanguinity, a starting point is the effect of legal adoption. Legal adoption has the effect of permanently terminating the parental responsibilities and rights of the natural parents, and such rights are then vested in the adoptive parent or parents. The adopted child from such date has the right to inherit from his adopted family, in the narrow sense or in the broad sense, as if he or she had been born to such a parent, the effect being that the adopted child is deemed to be related to his adopted parent through the principle of consanguinity. As much as adoptions are not a 21st century construct, the wording of the Children's Act of 2005 has brought about a change in acknowledging and championing the transformation of the notion of family. Prior to the 2005 Act, its predecessor prescribed that the courts in considering adoptions must give regard to the religious and cultural background of the child concerned and of his parents as against that of the person in or whose custody he is to be placed or transferred in. Going back to my first year of school, if all the children in my class had been adopted, the effect of the aforementioned is that the picture would have been no different. This provision has been replaced by Section 28.2 of the Constitution, which provides the rights of the child are paramount, irrespective of the ethnic background, religion, sexual orientation of the adopted parents in contrast to those of the biological parents. This provides for diversity in family constructs. A study done By Mokomane and Koken entitled Adoption in South Africa Trends and Patterns in Social Work Pattern utilizing the quantitative data produced by the national adoption register notes the majority of adoptions are step parents closely followed by single parents this study shows the shift of the narrative of what a family should look like To what families simply are relations through consanguinity have in the 21st century been furthered through the development of medical research in the field of artificial insemination and in turn surrogacy a child that is born as a consequence of artificial insemination is legally the child of such woman who births him or her and can therefore inherit from his or her biological parent nothing uncommon in such instance you might say however if a child is born to a couple as a consequence of artificial insemination, with the gamete of only one party and the other gamete belonging to a third party donor, subject to the consent of the couple, such child's parents shall be the couple's, irrespective that biologically only one parent has contributed to that child's DNA. In turn, the child will be entitled to inherit from both parents, being the couple, despite the child, in the strict sense, being related to only one parent, By consanguinity being the bloodline similarly to adoption no rights or obligations are created between the child and the third party donor the children's act of 2005 also makes provision for surrogacy which was before the promulgation of the 2005 act not legislated in terms of section 294 of the children's act in order for a surrogacy agreement to be effective the use of the gametes of both parents, known as the commissioning parents, or where not possible due to biological, medical, or other reasons, the gamete of at least one commissioning parent is a requirement. To this end, such child could inherit from both parents as contemplated with artificial insemination, or with a commission is a single parent from such parent. In the matter of A, B, and another versus Minister of Social Development, AB challenged the constitutionality of section 294 on the grounds that it discriminated against people who are conception and pregnancy infertile. A little background, AB was divorced and had unsuccessfully attempted artificial insemination on numerous occasions and had been medically advised that her ova were not viable. Surrogacy with donated gametes were her only option. The majority decision of the court took a narrow interpretation of family. The court held that the intent and actual effect of section 294 is unambiguous all children born of surrogate motherhood agreements must be conceived by using the gamete of at least one commissioning parent if a genetic link was to suffice certain family members of would-be commissioning parents could donate gametes for purposes of artificial fertilization section 294 is of interest Especially where the Children's Act confers the status of parent to a partner who has not contributed any gamut in the instance of artificial insemination, but limits this application in the case of surrogacy, the distinction seeming arbitrary in light of the societal mores moving towards diverse family structures. The last 20 years have not only seen a shift in the definition of consanguinity, but that of relations to affinity as well. Marriages, in terms of the Marriage Act, looked the formation of family in the narrow sense, even though not expressly recorded in the Act, as the union between a man and a woman creating the bond of affinity. This was the only manner in which the bond of affinity, together with the rights and obligations that are attached thereto, could be formed. In a move to be more reflective of the South African society and the reality of its family constructs, the term and expanse of affinity has through legislation been expanded allowing for such bonds to be created through various pieces of legislation the first of such being the recognition of customary marriages act which came into effect in november 2000 in terms of the said act customary marriages gained recognition regardless of when they were concluded or how many wives were a party to a customary union professor mosikatsane comments that the common law of marriage is based on roman dutch law which is influenced by christianity and the exclusive nature of the common law does not reflect the social reality as it's restricted to civil marriages. This shift is important given the expanse of the people who reside within the borders of South Africa and the implications in this respect to the application of the Interstate Succession Act as it allows for the act to be more inclusive. Thus, in terms of this, a deceased male's wives as a collective and his descendants will be able to inherit in terms of the Interstate Succession Act. This extension to the principle of inheritance and the alignment to the constitution was evidenced in the case of Bear versus Magistrate of Kailicha, in which the court dealt with the constitutionality of the principle of primogeniture, the construct that the eldest male heir has the right to inheritance to the exclusion of female heirs, as well as the question of the blanket application of the Black Administration Act, which automatically applied customary law to the states of organs. The court found both to be discriminatory, in the former on the grounds of race and gender, and in the latter on the grounds of race. The right of equality entrenched in the constitution was cemented by the promulgation of the Civil Union Act, which provides same sex and heterosexual couples with the right to enter into a union that has the same effect as that of the Marriages Act. Of interest is the distinction in the wording of the Marriages Act and the Civil Union Act in the definition of such union. The Marriage Act references a lifelong voluntary union, whereas the Civil Union Act references the term union as a union which is voluntary and to the exclusion of all others whilst it lasts. One may say that the drafters had a sense of humour, however it suggested the wording whilst it lasts. Is in recognition of the possibility of a separation and or a divorce a realistic view of the society that we reside in and not an idealistic one it in essence reflects the morals of the times our courts in the determination of matters take public policy into this has been of relevance in respect of the extent as to whom the law prescribes to be family versus the reality of the changing nature of the social mores as to what familial bonds are. Justice O'Regan in the matter of Darwood versus Minister of Home Affairs in delivering her majority judgment held that family is the natural and fundamental unit of our society. But the definition of family also changes as social practices and traditions change. And thus we should take care not to entrench particular forms of family at the expense of others. This transformation of societal and legal concept is unfortunately not a reality for all South Africans. Presently, marriages concluded in terms of religious tenets of the Hindu or Islamic faith have limited legal recognition. This is said to be as a consequence of such marriages being potentially polygamous, a hurdle that seems to have been effectively overcome by the recognition of Customary Marriages Act, but still eludes in this instance. Due to this crevice in the law, the courts have had to determine the position of these marriages and the hardships that such non-recognition poses in respect of succession laws. In the 2004 judgment of Daniels v. Campbell, the court held that a party to a monogamous Muslim marriage is a spouse for purposes of the interstate succession, as well as the Maintenance of Survival of Spouses Act. Justice L.B. Sachs commented that the interpretation of the term spouse should be broad and inclusive in its construction, which is consistent with the ordinary meaning of the word four years later the matter of hassam versus jacobs nomina official further advanced the decision of the daniels case by extending the interpretation of spouse to apply to polygamous muslim marriages The question begs is there a discord between the 21st century of notion of family and our succession laws the response is yes in some instances and no in others concepts such as adoption relationships comprising of same-sex couples customary marriages and marriages concluded in terms of religious tenets, are not novel in the 21st century. The novelty lies in the shift in the morals of society. In South Africa, strongly dictated by our public policy and propelled by our constitution. In its maiden judgment of S v versus Makoyane, which dealt with the death penalty, the constitutional court commented that the constitution seeks to establish a society where the individual value of each member of the community is recognised and treasured. This is a notion that it has been able to achieve through dignity restoring judgments that have had the effect of extending the ambit of the Interstate Succession Act in its interpretation of what notion of family is, reflective of the society in which it operates. On the other hand, despite the strides made, there are still perceived gaps, such as that of Ms. X. Of interest is that the Western Cape High Court was seized with the determination of the right of a permanent life partner to inherit in terms of the Interstate Succession Act in the absence of any descendants. In a judgment handed down by Magona AJ on the 28th of September, 2020, in the Buanya matter, she held that section one, subsection one of the Interstate Succession Act was unconstitutional and invalid in so far as it excludes the surviving life partner in a permanent opposite sex life partnership from inheriting. The decision is, however, subject to confirmation by the constitutional court, There may be different arguments to counter the perceived gap as set out by Miss X in the Banya matter. The first is that by conferring the status of spouse to Miss X is the removal of the freedom of election The individuals have to bind themselves and create the bonds of affinity and the rights and obligations that flow therefrom. Or one may argue that in these instances, every deceased person, whilst alive and subject to having capacity, is able to execute a valid will, that tailors for the notion of what their individual concept of family is. This may be true. However, the challenge in our country is that we face with high rates of illiteracy, barriers to access to information and resources. The opportunity to make such informed choices is not always possible. In closing, I leave you with an African adage that seems to best sum up the inclusive notion of family. I quote, a family is like a forest, When you are outside, it is dense. When you are inside, you see that each tree has its place. For Miss X, the value of her family structure and her place therein is yet to be determined. I thank you for taking the time to listen to us today.
0: This certainly gives us food for thought Zola, thank you. That brings us to the end of this video series in our phenomenal family series. And thank you for joining us. Don't miss our next session when Johan van Sale from Stonehenge Fleming will be talking about wealth strategies for intergenerational success. Goodbye. Until then.